Uh, you all can open up your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. You've heard that reference a few times this morning, even if you haven't been with us the last several weeks. Uh, some of you have, but we have been going through the book of Deuteronomy the last several weeks, and we're up to chapter 4 today. So if you want to find that in your copy of the scriptures, that would be great. And we're going to try to go through almost all of that chapter, which is an ambitious task, uh, but we will see, see how we do. Uh, but as you're finding that, a couple things I want to say. Some of you knew these were coming this uh, Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, you heard us reference this, or you may have seen them as you walked in the back of the auditorium, but we have a lot of extra copies of the book Gentle and Lowly. We gave these out on Food Truck Sunday if you were here, but some of you weren't able to come, or some of you may want an additional copy to give to a friend or uh, someone uh, as a gift. They're, we even were given by another church who had been gifted these from Crossway. They had extra ones. They said, do you want some more? I was like, yes, I do, because I, I love to give it out. It's a wonderful book. I've read it through once already. I'm looking forward to through, uh, reading it through again. So there's copies, I think, still on the back table uh, back there that you're welcome to grab uh, one of those. We don't have any more stashed away anywhere else. So if you want one today, I'd encourage you to grab one and take that with you. But it is an excellent book. So I wanted you to be aware of that. Well, as we come to Deuteronomy 4 this morning, uh, I was thinking of a phrase that is just four words long, but it's a phrase that I think would be fair to say, and I won't have kids raise their hand, but I'm guessing if I was to ask kids in the room, have you heard your mom or dad, or your grandma or grandpa, whoever you live with, have you heard them say this phrase to you? I bet they would all raise their hands. I know my kids would. Uh, and it's the phrase, because I said so. Because I said so. Uh, I say that, I heard that as a kid, and I swore I would never say that to my kids. I will be above that of saying because I said so, yet even as I was preparing to say this this morning, I found myself saying that a few times even this weekend, because I said so. And I probably don't need to explain the context of what prompts that, um, but just so we're all clear, I think what typically prompts that is almost always this, it's when a child is told to do something, right? And they ask a question that's one word in response. And what is that word? Why? Why? Yeah, okay. So we're all in the same boat here. Uh, we, we're asking that question or sometimes we're asked that question. And we respond often with not calmness, uh, not love in our voice. We respond with some like frustration or sternness. And we say it kind of with a bite to it. We say, because I said so right? And uh, we are often, I think, sinful in how we say that, but there is some rightness to that, right? Uh, there's a reason we say that. There's a rightness to it that as a parent and that, that's in the family situation, as a mom or dad, you do have authority to call your kids to obedience, right? And because I said so should be enough. Like, it should be enough to motivate them. It should be enough to have them do what you say, but sometimes, oftentimes, it's not. I don't know of any circumstance where when I say that, especially if I said it sinfully, it just like melts the hearts of my children and now they, they want to obey. It certainly didn't do that to me as a child. But we can feel kind of like pious when we say that sometimes. Like there's something righteous and good. Like because I said so. Like God gave me authority over you. Like we can kind of feel like righteous in doing so. But a question that Deuteronomy, the first several chapters, has prompted for me, and chapter 4 in particular, a question that has prompted for me has been something like this, is does God speak to his children that way? Like, does God deal with us that way as children? Does he just say, because I said so, and just leave it at that? 
He could, right? If there's any parent uh, that could do that, had the right to do that, could do it well, it would be God himself, right? Could just say, because I said so. But I think what we'll see in Deuteronomy 4 and its other places in the scripture is even though he could say that to us, he kindly, graciously gives us many more reasons to obey him, right? Because I said so would be enough, should be enough. But he kindly and graciously gives us even more, several more good, solid reasons that we should obey him. And we're going to see this in Deuteronomy 4 today. We're going to go from verse 1 all the way down to verse 43. I don't know if you have a physical copy of scriptures. That spans four pages in my copy of the Bible. So this is a lot we're going to try to get through. But just so you know where we're at in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy We've said the last few weeks, it's kind of like a farewell address from Moses to the nation of Israel. As he's about to die, as this generation is about to finally go into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. This is Moses' farewell address to them. And we talked a few weeks ago how Deuteronomy is kind of organized like a written treaty of sorts between a ruler and the people who were underneath him back in the ancient world. And usually those would start with the backstory of that ruler and his sub-rulers, his people underneath him. Uh, and that would usually start with some of the backstory. What we're getting at today is the, the end of that backstory, the, the conclusion of it. And then chapter 5 is going to be when he starts actually like a normal treaty in that day and age, starting to spell out this is how we relate to each other. Like this is what you do, this is what I do. That's going to be a corner to do, how to obey. He's going to here in chapter 4 tell them why they should obey. Like he's going to give them reasons to obey. Okay, and so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to read the whole thing in one shot. I'm at least going to try to. Verses 1 to 43. To help you, I, would, I always would encourage you, if you have a copy of scriptures, listen with your ears and with your eyes. That's helpful just to follow along and, and look at it and hear it at the same time. It's going to be a long thing. It's not a, like a bedtime story book. Okay, this is, uh, It's not that genre, but there is such good things in here. So I would encourage you to listen attentively. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 to 43. And then we'll at least briefly go back through it okay and see some of the reasons that God gives us to obey him so Deuteronomy 4 verses 1 through 43 reads like this and now O Israel listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. 
Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people for his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, 
all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in, the, in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bazer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. This is the word. This may be the longest text I ever preach. We will see. Uh, what a glorious, glorious text. I, I, I want to encourage you as we take long chunks of Deuteronomy uh, to process some other thing. What we don't get to talk about here and in this room, talk about with your family. Talk about with your roommates. Talk about with your friends. Talk about with your life groups. There's going to be so much that we don't get to articulate, don't get to process, um, but there's much that we will. Uh, things that are clearly spoken and we want to see those, raise those to the surface. And so I want to share a few things from this text about God's call upon us to obey him as his people, and then especially to show the reasons that he kindly gives to us to motivate us, to help spur on our obedience toward him. So I want to start first in this text by showing you, especially back near the beginning, the command of God several times to his people through Moses to obey. Very simply. Like he, he, that is what Moses is emphasizing as he starts to turn this corner and is going to start listing out the rules and the expectations of the covenant. He's first just calling them, broadly speaking, obey. Do what God says. Like that, that's the simple call. And so if you look back in the first paragraph or two, a couple of things you can note uh, where God is clearly calling obedience. You see it in verse 1. Right? He says, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, right? That's verse 1. Verse 5, and there's others mixed in here, but verse 5, he says, Moses says, I've taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them. Next verse, verse 6, he says, Moses says, keep them and do them. Verse 14, you see it again. Moses says, The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them. Right? And there's several others scattered through this text. God over and over and over again is through Moses calling his people to obey, calling them to do what he has said. Right? And this is so important. It's, it's so obvious, but we could miss it. Like we could totally miss this. The call upon us to obey God. To not just know what God has said, to know what he's commanded, but to actually do it. Those are two different things. One has to happen, the second is supposed to happen. We, we know the word, we have it, 
But then we're supposed to actually do it. We're supposed to actually live it out, right? And we know this in real life in various circumstances that just having certain words, having certain ideas is very different from actually doing them, right? Uh, in, in athletics, you could have the greatest game plan and scheme that a coach could ever come up with. And if it just stays on the whiteboard in the locker room, as grand as it may be, and the players don't actually do it, it's wasted, right? It's worthless, you could have the greatest business plan that there ever was written, and if it just stays in a binder sitting on a desk, never actually gets implemented in, the, in that business or in the marketplace, it's worthless. A society could have some of the best written laws, uh, but if they stay just on the official record in City Hall, and they're not known by the, the people on the streets, and they're not lived out in the, that community, then they are worthless, Right? So there's a difference between having words and knowing words and then actually doing them, actually doing what you have been told to do. And God has always intended for his word not just to be known but to be obeyed. As it's true in Moses' day, it was true in the Garden of Eden, right? It was true in Moses' day, it's true now. We are to know the word of God but we're actually to obey it as well. I so appreciate that one of the first verses, the first verse we had kids learn and that we got to sing with them today was Psalm 119 verse 105 and you might have that clapping in your head now um, but that verse says, speaking of the word of God, your word is what? A lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path, right? Not just a light to fill my head and ideas to get in my head, but it's to help me know how to live, to know what to do, to actually function as a human being and as a child of God. And in Deuteronomy, as we get into chapter 5 and then throughout the book, we're going to be in this home stretch, this long stretch of laws that we're about to start next week. And Moses is going to give them all sorts of commands, and we're going to get to learn together these commands of God, things about that we may not talk about often, things about worship, things about diet, things about idolatry, about generosity, about rest, about holidays, about how rulers should rule, about how parents should parent and children should follow their parents. There's going to be tons of commands that are given even in the book of Deuteronomy. And God could have, like we said at the beginning, God could have merely said, do this because I said so. Here's the rules, do it. Right? God could have done that. But here, before these rules come, before the expectations come, Moses gives, and God gives through Moses, various reasons to obey. Various things, kindnesses to his people to say, not just have I said so, that should be enough, but here's even more. I want to add a reason for you to obey, to compel obedience in you. And I want to zoom in. There's so many ways we could slice it up. But to show you this, what I'm talking about, I want you to look at one primary verse, and we'll kind of uh, expand from there, and it's verse 40. And this is where the sermon title will come from, if you're scratching your head about that. God gives reasons for obedience, and you see it in verse 40, okay? Verse 40 is the very last thing we have recorded of Moses actually saying before he launches into the rules in chapter 5. This is the last thing before he hits those rules, right? The last command to them. Verses 41 and through 43, uh, we'll come back to in future times. It's just recording the setting apart of these cities of refuge uh, on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, it's more of a functional thing that happened. But starting in verse 44, you'll see next week, it starts, this is the law Moses set before the people of God, right? 
So if we back up to verse 40, the one I want you to look at, this is the last thing Moses is going to say before those commands start coming. And this is what he said. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. I want to keep that on the screen for a while uh, because uh, in this statement you can see so much through two words that we have capitalized there. The, the last thing is do what God says. Like do what I'm about to tell you that God's telling us to do. But right before that and right after that, the words immediately before and after, it's like he's adding reason to it. It's like he's holding that statement up, that command up with bookends, like with these words on either end of it. I, was, I put this up here. You may wonder. I don't usually use things, but maybe it'll be helpful for the kids. Uh, but we have a shelf at our house. Uh, we have several shelves of books, and we kind of keep the grown-up books up top so they don't get messed around with. Uh, but on the bottom shelf, we have a lot of kids books and that thing gets a mess and it's great we love that our kids like to read but the books get all kind of they all tip over or fall over or fall off the shelf so someone a long time ago invented these brilliant things and I'm not going to take this apart called bookends right so if kids you probably have seen these things before they're things that help, are on either side of the thing to help it stand up so if I pulled those out those books would boom just fall over right uh, this sentence has bookends around that statement do what God says it has a therefore and it has a that, right? The therefore comes before it and then it has a that. And I want to point out what I think most, why those are there and what they convey to us as far as reasons that help motivate us to actually do that, to actually obey the commands of God, okay? So the first one, therefore, the one that comes first, that comes before the command to obey is therefore, Right? And I'm not going to make corny jokes about the therefore and what it's there for and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but when you see the word therefore, it's just saying something just got said, right? And something else is about to be said. The reason you should do this or the reason this thing is true is because of that, right? So it's like pointing you back. So when we see him say, therefore, obey God, therefore, keep God's commands, it should make us look backwards, right? Like, what has he just said that should lead us to obey? What's he just been talking about? And it doesn't take long. If you back up even to the verse right before, there's another therefore, isn't there, in verse 39. And so it's like kind of this game of, like, keep pressing back. Like, what's the reason? Like, pressing back further and further. And I think what Moses is essentially doing before what we call verse 40, this do what God says, is I think he's referring to that whole paragraph. It would have been a spoken thing, but that whole paragraph, verses 32 through 39, and saying, because of all that that I just said, therefore do what God says. Therefore obey him. And what he has said in verses 32 to 39 is so important, so helpful, because what he's done right there to help motivate obedience in these people is he's talk, he talks about two things. He talks about what, the ways God has spoken and the way that God has saved. Those are the two things he's just told them. The way that God has spoken to them, and then the way that God has saved them. And he's saying, because of those things, do what God says. 
obey him. So if you look in that paragraph, you see a few things. Like if you look about the way that God has spoken, you look at verses 32 and 33. Moses kind of rhetorically asking them, like, think back on all of human history. Has there ever been a God who spoke to us the way that God spoke to us back at Mount Sinai? Has that ever happened? No. Like, gods don't, these gods don't speak out of fire. They don't, certainly don't speak to us in that way, and we live to tell about it. And he's recounting for them how they had heard the voice of God speaking from the fire back at Mount Sinai 40 years prior. And he's wanting that to to sink into them. There was this awe-inspiring way that God had spoke. That should have moved them to, to wonder and to worship. That, that this God was speaking to them in such a grand way. And you see it in, even down in verse 36, right? He says, out of heaven he let you hear his voice. A little later on he says, on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. He's wanting them to, to look back at Mount Sinai and be in awe that God has spoken to us in a grand and glorious way. One that should, we should pause and take note of. It, it wasn't just a normal dialogue of like person to person. It was notably, demonstrably, God speaking to us. And the gravity of what they saw should give them an eagerness to want to do what was told them there, right? Uh, like it, it was weighty. It, it was God communicating to them in this glorious way. And it wasn't just the delivery of it either. It wasn't just the fire and the loudness of the voice that was so amazing about the way God spoke to them. It was the content of what he said to them also. If you just back up a li- earlier in the chapter, which there's so much in here, but if you back up earlier in the chapter at verse 8, back in that territory, he'd been reminding them of how God spoke back at Mount Sinai too. And in verse 8, he tells them, Man, basically, he's summarizing and saying, this law that God's given to us to follow, when we actually start to live it out and do it amongst the the Canaanites and for these other nations to see, he's saying that they will see it as righteous, right? That's what verse 8 says. That these other nations are going to see the way we do God's law, and they're going to say, what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So it was deliver- God had spoken to them in this glorious, grand way at Mount Sinai, but even the content of it was righteous and good. And, and Moses is telling them, because of that, let that be a reason for you to obey. This wasn't just some trite thing delivered to you by some insignificant God. This was given to you by the God of the universe in grand fashion. Do what he says. But in this last paragraph, the one leading up to verse 40, leading up to that therefore, he also had referred them to the way that God had saved the Israelites. Not just the way he had spoken to them, but the way he had saved the Israelites is another reason that he's using to say, obey, do what God has said. He has saved you. And you see this in verses 34 and 37, right? In verse 34, he asks them, he says, Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And then down in verse 37, he says, Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power. And then he goes on. And then comes the therefore finally. 
So he, he has said how God has spoken to you. Let that be a reason that you listen to him, that you do what he says. But he's also saying, remember how God saved you. Like, remember what he did to rescue you all, rescue this nation from slavery in Egypt. And I don't have time to rehash that whole story, but needless to say, if you go back and read Exodus, God had done some glorious things to bring his people out of slavery. Underneath them, you were free, but then he changed his mind and went after them, and God parted the Red Sea. And let his people walk upon dry ground and then brought the waters back over his enemies who were pursuing them. God had gone to great lengths to rescue them, to save them out of slavery in Egypt. And God, through Moses, is reminding them, remember the way I saved you. If you want another reason to do what I say, to trust me, and actually do what I tell you to do and live how I call you to live, remember how I, not just how I spoke to you, but remember how I saved you too. So he's giving them these reasons to obey. God has been merciful to them to speak to them and to save them. I am thankful to God that we, when we need motivation, when we need reason to obey God today, we can look to those same two things. The way that God has spoken and the way that God has saved. If we're needing renewed motivation to incentive, not incentive, but motivation to obey, think about how God has spoken to us. Okay? Think about how he has spoken to us. He's to these people there on the edge of the Jordan. He's saying, God has spoken to us, guys. Like, he gave us this law. He gave us that, what we call probably Exodus or part of Exodus now. This law is great. Like, God has spoken to us and given us this. Think about what we have in comparison to that, okay? They had like one thin sliver of this, right? We have all of this. We have 66 books of the Bible, right? We have an abundance, like an embarrassment of riches of God speaking to us, right? We have far more than what they have. We have written by dozens of authors, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just writing their own musings, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the writings of dozens of authors, writing over thousands of years, right? But they have one author, they have one overarching story that they tell that focuses on the person of Jesus. And these are not just ancient writings. These are the inspired word of God. They are inerrant, right? There is, this is all truth. No mixture of error in here. It's inerrant. It is infallible. Like it cannot, will not lead us astray as human beings and as the people of God. It is trustworthy, right? It is self-attesting it is the breath of God it is breathed out by God to us these things that you hold on your phone or in your hand it is breathed out by God an abundance of it like God has spoken so clearly so many times as this word is beautiful it is glorious if you read it and it, sometimes it takes some getting used to and getting into the rhythms of these types of writings to read these poems and letters and histories and songs and, and wise sayings and things like that. It may take some getting used to and parts of it may sting at times, parts of it will sting at times, but it is all sweet. It is all the word of God. It should be like honey to our lips and to our souls. We, God has spoken to us and we take it so much for granted. Like he has spoken so clearly, so kindly to us. But the clearest way that he has spoken to us is through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You read the book of Hebrews, for example, in the New Testament. And the very first thing that author said was, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
Like we don't have merely a written or spoken word of God. We have that, and that should be reason enough for us to obey. We have an incarnate word of God, right? Jesus, God the Son, has become a human being, and he taught things, he spoke things, but he also lived for us to see how, what life in obedience to God looks like. He showed us what that looks like, right? And ultimately, the, the coming of Jesus Christ led to a movement from just what God has spoken to the way, this other thing Moses is referring to, the way that God has saved us, right? That we have a salvation that is far better than the Exodus, Like, Moses could point them back to the Red Sea. He could point them back to the Passover. He could point them back to that salvation from Pharaoh. God has done something through the person of Jesus. He has saved in a way that is far more important, far more permanent, far more precious than that. And it was through the work of Jesus for us. Because we were enslaved to something worse than Pharaoh. We were were enslaved to sin. We were destined for something more than just making bricks with no straw like they were in Egypt. We were destined for hell. We were destined for the judgment of God because of our rebellion against him. And we could do nothing to spare ourselves. We could do nothing to save ourselves. But God didn't just speak at us. He came to us, right? Like he sent his son Jesus to come and live as a human being and to do this word perfectly, which none of us do, to live obediently. And then at the cross, at the end of his life, the innocent one took our sin upon himself. He took our guilt, our, the judgment that should be coming to us from God the Father. He took it upon himself and was crushed, was put to get death under the wrath of God on the cross. And he was laid in a tomb, having died in our place, so we might be forgiven. But then God the Father raised him up that Sunday morning long ago to show that he approved of that sacrifice and that anyone who would come to him in faith, anyone who would come to him in repentance could be forgiven and have eternal life with him. That is a rescue way better than being rescued from Pharaoh. I will take that any day of the week, any day of eternity, more than walking across the bottom of the Red Sea. It's having, being united with Jesus, one who has died for me to save my soul for eternity. Not just save my body from Pharaoh, but save my soul for eternity that is a salvation he has worked for us and he has spoken and he has saved those two things should be reason that should be a strong therefore to us therefore do what I say like therefore live how I call you to live and it begins with turning from your sin repenting of your sin and placing your trust in Jesus start there Like, do what I say and then live your life for me. Live your life for my son. So God has spoken to us in clearer and better ways and God has saved us in clearer and more glorious ways than he did them. And that is a strong, therefore, to us to obey him today. But that was the first book and the other one I'll leave short is the second one at the end of the commandment in verse 40. After he says, keep God's statutes and commandments that I command you today, He says, that, and he says it twice, right? That it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that your Lord God is giving you for all time. I just want to briefly point out here, that that word that implies that if we keep the commands of the Lord, there is good that typically comes as a result, right? It's not just the therefore, because of what I've done, do it. It's the therefore, do it, that these things may happen, that them and their children after them, and that they'll prolong their days in the land. 
This, this is fairly intuitive, I think, to us, but what, if we have the creator of us, the savior of us, telling us how to live, is it not obvious to us that if we live how he says to live, that typically that's going to be for our good, right? As individuals, as a society, as a church, as a family. If we live out the things that God calls us to live, there's gain from that. There's, there's good from that. There's blessing that comes from that. And we can get this sideways, but why would we, we not expect this, right? It's simple. A child, the youngest kid in the room can understand this, that, that if you do what you're told by the one who loves you and who's in charge of you, it's for your good. And we may struggle to believe that and to trust that, but it is true nonetheless. And I would point out in this text to please not read into this text what some people uh, with prosperity gospel teachers will preach today. Do not read this text as saying, if I just live how God calls me to live in the scriptures, I'm going to be set. Like, I'm going to have a nice job. I'm going to get the wife I want. I'm going to get a house I want. I'm going to have respect from people. I'm going to have a long life. I'm going to live to be 100. Uh, I'll be healthy the whole time. That is not remotely what God is promising here or God is promising in his word. I would know he is talking to a nation of people, right? Not just to an individual person. He's talking to this nation saying, as you go into this land, you all live how I call you to live, and it will be for your good. It will be for your longevity as a people uh, and even for your children. He, people still died in Canaan, right? People still got sick. There were still fights. There was still sin present in Canaan even when they obeyed, right? But there is still at the core this principle that when we follow the commands of God, it is for our good. Uh, it, it may not make life sweet in the ways we want it to be sweet, but it will be good for our soul. It will be good for our community when we live the way that God calls us to live, right? Moses knows this is going to be a temptation for them to disobey when they go into the land. But this is a proper motivation, I think, even for us as Christians. We, we don't live in Canaan. We don't live under this old covenant that Moses was reestablishing with the people here. We live under the Christ's covenant, like we've talked about, our church's name. But thinking of the benefit of obedience is not anti-Christian. Like you see, G, read what Jesus says. Like he talks about rewards, right? He talks about when we live the way the Lord wants us to live. But he talks about rewards not in this life, but in the life to come, right? Because that's our home, right? Is in heaven and the new earth. When we live righteously, when we follow the commands of God, suffering will still come in this life. Death will still come for the most righteous of us, right? Suffering sometimes comes more to us because of righteousness in this life. But as we obey, as we live out the commands of God, it is gain for us. There are treasures stored up in heaven. There is a sweetness and a goodness to the eternal state that is growing in abundance as we obey our heavenly Father. Read 1 Corinthians 9 sometime. Paul even talks about this as one of Jesus' apostles. He talks about his life and ministry as running a race, so as to win a prize. And he's not embarrassed about that, but he's saying the prize that I'm running for is an imperishable wreath. It's one that, that I'm not trying to gain money and reputation in the here and now. I'm trying to gain things in glory. I'm trying to gain a sweetness in glory. That is what the people of God should be after as we obey. It's not for prestige here. It's not for money here. It is not for reputation here. It is not for health. It is not for wealth. It is not for any of that. It's for the smile of God and it's for gain in eternity. 
That is why we are to to obey and do what he says. I want to clarify and then say one other thing. We as human beings, as I'm talking about motivation to obey, I want you to hear me clearly that we are not just these like innocent, ignorant people who just need a little more information like, oh, I didn't know that there's good that comes if I obey. Oh, I didn't know that Jesus died to save me. Now I know that. Voila, now I'm going to obey. Like, it's not that we're just these sweet, innocent people. We are rebellious people. We are weak people. We, we need not just information, the therefore and the that. We need the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart, right? We need more than, we need that information, but we need the Holy Spirit to move upon our hearts and to give us faith, to give us motivation to obey him. If he doesn't do that, the therefore and the that will not change you. Right? And so as you pray for people, don't just give them information. Give them the therefore. Give them the that. But then pray that the Spirit of God uses that to give them life. That he changes their heart. That he actually gives them a want to. Right? That, I just want to make that clear. That we are not just ignorant people who need more information. Or apathetic people who just need a little persuading. We are dead people who need to be made alive. We are rebellious people who need to be made righteous. Right? And in God's kindness, he gives us those new hearts. Last thing I want to say, and there will be much more opportunity to say this in Deuteronomy, as I just would be remiss if I didn't note the generational tone in this text. It happens several times, but Moses, even in there in verse 40, he says that it may go well with you and with your children after you. Moses had foresight to anticipate, I'm not going in the land, but there's going to be generations to come that live in there. And he has this heart to see them know the word of God, this heart to see them believe it and to actually do it, even people he will never see on this earth. But I want to show you one thing briefly, verse 9 and 10, and you can think on this more later. Moses back earlier in the chapter, in verse 9 and 10, like start near the end of verse 9, he, he is recounting uh, something that God said to him back at Mount Sinai. If you start near the end of verse 9, he says, Moses is speaking to the nation. He says, make them known to your children and your children's children. And then it's like Moses goes back to this memory from 40 years ago. And he says, how on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, the Lord said to me. So there's something God said to Moses that now he's recalling and sharing with them. And what God said to him was gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and then hear this, and that they may teach their children so. That is beautiful. Because I want you to hear in that, that the generational passing down of the word of God was not just Moses' idea. Right? It wasn't just him having foresight as a leader to think, you know, you win the children, you win the culture, or something corny like that, like Moses, thinking well, this would be good for us to do. It was the heart of God. Like God was telling him, have these people have a leader. It was the heart of God to see his word believed by one generation passed down to the next. And we have a great privilege as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as friends, as teachers, as members of our church to do that, to pass on the good news that was given to us to the next generation coming behind us. I just want to encourage you all who are active in that task to keep on. It is a long, slow work at times of teaching young people to know the word of God and believe the work of God, of God but it is a noble, God-given work, right? And it's important for us, vital for us to not just assume they know it, 
assume they believe it, but patiently read it with them, memorize these songs with them, teach them, volunteer in our nurseries, in our classes, love on the kids in your life group, invest in the people who are coming behind us, and in time, I trust that the Spirit of God will give life to them, that the same want to that he's given to us, he will now pass on to them. Amen? We have all been commanded to obey God. I pray for all these reasons and more that we will now be compelled to obey God, right? I'm going to pray for us. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song before we go, but thank you for listening.